0: It's July 10th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's
1: technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Rosala, and we'll be your geeks in residence for the next hour.
0: First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond, and joining us today is Eric Nakagawa, back from San Francisco, to tell us about some of his latest projects.
1: Finally, we'll learn about sending a payload into space with the NASA CANSAT competition. Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet, but first, the headlines. Well, the work of Hawaii lawmakers
0: in the latest legislative session was validated this week with several final bills signed into law as governors uh, as the governor's veto deadline passed yesterday. With uh, Governor Neil Abercrombie traveling to Taipei, it fell to Lieutenant Governor Sean Satsui, who signed HB 858, which allocates $6 million to the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation for the um, High Growth Initiative, and investment
1: program aimed at diversifying Hawaii's economy. The High Growth Initiative, announced in Governor Abercrombie's State of the State address in January, will provide capital to support startups, research, commercialization, and mentoring. Supporters of the measure said it was critical to building the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Hawaii. The lieutenant governor also signed SB 1349. That extends the tax credit for high technology research activities through 2019. But it also refines the definition of qualifying businesses and research and ties it to a related federal tax credit.
0: Four bills relating to energy were also signed into law. HB 811 and HB 1405 improve industry reporting getting energy-related data into the State Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism, and getting more information on power purchase agreements out of the Public Utilities Commission. SB 19 made it easier for renters and tenants to benefit from energy measures implemented by landowners and landlords. And HB 1149 requires developers of New wind energy facilities to provide for decommissioning and removal of equipment in case of shutdown and uh you know I guess they were saving all the tech bills to to the end i mean well, our, last
1: week we had the three that we talked about right, the open data bill mm-hmm. and the um, i t security, security. And broadband right. but uh certainly uh I would say a productive legislative session you know if when, if there's anything that I think listening to the show and us and doing the show have done over the last five years is tracking more and more tech awareness um, mm-hmm. and interest in diversifying the economy through those things, and more activity from the grassroots as well as big business in making some of these bills pass.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important that uh, you know people pay attention to some of the bills that are getting proposed and, and maybe get involved here, get your voice uh, heard. And I think that was uh, definitely a, an uh, an experience for me.
1: Now, the High Growth Initiative was initially for a $20 million program. Right. They got $6 million, But considering that any monetary attachment for a bill is often one of the reasons why it doesn't even make it out of committee. I think it was still a significant achievement. And, and then, you know, do something with uh, it.
0: Um, Carl Fuchs and, and his uh, organization, I mean, they're doing the accelerator program and this uh, six million dollars is also tr- uh, helping to boost that. So we'll be tracking, you know, what happens with that six
1: million dollars. Yeah. And it won't be long before we're having conversations about what we should be preparing for for the next legislative session. Researchers at the University of Hawaii are continuing to find insights into the global weather and phenomenon known as El Nino. One of the greatest challenges in determining the impact of climate change and human activities is the limited amount of long-term historical data. With weather records especially sparse in the tropics, scientists at the International Pacific Research Center led an international team in focusing on tree rings for a glimpse into the distant past. In all, they compiled over 2,200 tree ring chronologies spanning the past seven centuries.
0: Well, tree rings are seen as good proxies for temperature and rainfall measurements and scientific climate measurements over the past few decades to coincide with the relative tree health observed in modern tree ring measurements. They then uh, reconstructed the behavior of El Nino going back to the 1300s, The data did indeed illustrate a regular oscillation of weather patterns, many tied to major volcanic eruptions that likely filled the atmosphere atmosphere with volcanic gases.
1: But El Nino activity in the last 50 years was noticeably stronger, as depicted in tree rings, compared to standard instrument readings over the same time period. The researchers say this means that greenhouse gas emissions and global warming are having a clear impact. Co-author Shang-Ping said in a statement, Many climate models do not reflect the strong El Nino response to global warming that we found. If this trend of increasing El Nino activity continues, we expect to see more weather extremes such as floods and droughts.
0: Now, this is uh, the same team that uh, did a uh, we did a story on them a couple of weeks ago, and they were looking at El Nino and the um, effect of, I guess, Originally people thought it was like a 12 month cycle mm-hmm. and then they looked at uh, some wind patterns and concluded that the wind patterns were a 15 month period which had an influence on El Nino. Right. And and uh, and they obviously concluded that there's more to El Nino than just, you know, sort of seasonal impact.
1: Well, you know, I thought it was interesting that they're looking at tree rings, which mm-hmm. even, you know, perhaps we even learn about or study in school and yet uh not Really focused on in terms of a record to line it up with what our instruments are telling us over a certain time period, and then you know extrapolating way way further back, and uh, not just actual tree ring specimens, but then historical records and writings and measurements of tree rings. So I thought that there was, a, was definitely an interesting approach. But they have the graph if you go to look for the study, it's, it was in the journal Nature Climate Change, but you can just look for uh, El Nino and tree rings. Um, the graph shows this very healthy, not healthy, but you know very common periodic, up and down. Uh-huh up and down, and then a significant deviation from that usual uh, look just in the last century. Mm -hmm. So uh, that kind of information is definitely useful when people say, this is is all something that always naturally happens. Mm -hmm. It might not necessarily be the case.
0: Well, next up, plate tectonics are among the most fundamental large-scale geologic phenomenon affecting our planet. And Clinton Conrad, an associate professor of geology at UH, has studied them throughout his career. While Conrad had first sought to answer a simple question about tectonic plates in a new study published in the journal Nature, he explains how he was able to conclude that many of these deep Earth forces have been remarkably stable for
1: much of the planet's history. Knowing that tectonic plates, on average, were moving northward, Conrad identified a single location in eastern Asia toward which all plates were converging. With that, he then sought out to find other special spots on Earth. Ultimately, he and his team identified the plate tectonic quadrupole. That's two points of net convergence and two points of net divergence of tectonic plates. But what was more interesting was what they found when they applied their formulas to long-term models. Well, he said, in a statement, "We applied
0: this formula to the time history of plate motions, and plotted the points and I was astonished to see that the points have not moved over geologic time. The findings may help ge- um, geologists improve their understanding of how mantle dynamics affects surface geology and to map major planetary events that may be uncovered in the geologic record now the the interesting thing is uh, on the surface plate tectonics i mean obviously." You know, the, the plates are moving and that's what happens when um, the effect is an earthquake and, and possibly sometimes a tsunami. But as you go deeper into the earth, uh, the, mo- the movements aren't as dynamic. Right, right. And,
1: and his, his conclusions are that the, they're, they are, they're actually pretty stable. And that they've, and because of that, you can also make additional conclusions about where the continents used to be and how they were positioned. I mean, things that people have already been doing, but with this uh, assumption of stability, I think that they can go much more. And they're also asking, of course, why it's stable when there's clearly a lot of dynamic motion and things evolving inside of the Earth. And they say that already beneath Africa and beneath the Central Pacific, the rock, uh, the the makeup of the rock is is noticeably different. So that might have something to do with mm-hmm. it for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess they were looking at the the mantle as it comes up the tubes and but the tubes never really moved that much.
1: Yeah, and they're saying that their next area of study will be how this understanding might affect the 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 level of the sea level. You know, people are already making projections about sea level rise and stuff, but this might help them make some adjustments for what might be happening further down rather than just from say uh, polar ice caps that are melting. Mm-hmm. On the Big Island, the Hawaii Island Beacon Community last week declared that it has made significant achievements in the use of innovative technology to improve the quality of patient care in Hawaii County. HIBC, which was funded by a $16 million agreement with the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, is one of 17 beacon communities where regional health information exchanges are being developed to improve health care availability and reduce costs.
0: Well, the HIBC said that 84 percent of primary care providers in Hawaii County have adopted certified electronic health record or EHR systems. These systems uh, qualify providers for financial incentives from Medicare and Medicaid programs. The HIBC also said that 19 primary care practices, which together served 20,000 patients, achieved patient center medical home status. That effort was a partnership between the HIBC, HMSA, and the kidney, the, the National Kidney Foundation of Hawaii.
1: Other partnerships improved availability of the iHealth Home telehealth system that was previously featured here on this show, as well as advanced retina screenings. This despite the HIBC's geographic coverage, diverse population, and limited health care resources. Susan Hunt, CEO of HIBC, said in a statement, our providers on Hawaii Island are among the nation's early adopters of best practices in health IT-supported care delivery transformation. We have made a remarkable journey in three years.
0: Well, you know, this was a, a program that started, uh, you know, several years, three years ago. And it was the attention of the nation because there were only several Locations that were given money to actually run a pilot. And, you know, $16 million is a pretty good sum of money. The challenges that I think the Big Island really kind of faced was that there were different service providers involved. It could be a hospital or service provider. And they all had different systems. So it was really trying to work through some of the organizational and – and I guess system differences to make everything sort of work together.
1: And it was certainly a unique uh, region in the country given they're also going to be looking at Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander populations and things like that. Um... But the program, which is administered through UH Hilo, I think one of the reasons for this announcement of success is that the federal agreement ends in September. Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions is, how will it be sustained? And they do say that a lot of these different groups and stakeholders are committing to continue to, co- to cooperate and collaborate, but certainly the funding question is going to come up. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, finally, a couple of quick stories we wanted to share with you from the Big Island, a team from UH Hilo is leaving for Russia this week, representing the U.S. in the Microsoft Image Cup challenges. Uh, Their application called Help Me Help gives any smartphone user the ability to be the first to alert others of hazards as it happens, the
1: team is going to St. Petersburg, Russia to compete in the World Finals. And in fact, also on the Big Island, Hawaii Tech Works in Hilo is hosting a robotics workshop next Friday. That's July 19th. It's the EasyBotics workshop, and it's aimed at teens and adults and will feature hands-on assembly of basic circuits using the Lettri Robotics Kit. Event volunteers are also welcome, but registration is $45. For more, for more information, you can visit easthawaii.com. And, of course,
0: anybody can go to that e- um, the uh, easybotics.com website and buy the kit. some of these kits. And they're pretty cool. They have like a bipedal robotic uh, kit. Cool. Yeah. I didn't buy it yet. Though, <laughs> okay. Joining here uh, us here in the studio is Eric Nakagawa, and he's uh, formerly of I Can Has Cheeseburger and Simple Honey. And he's here to update us about the uh, startup scene in the Bay Area and Hawaii. So we want to welcome you to the show, Eric. Thanks for having me, guys. Great. So... You know, uh, I was just uh, reminiscing that uh, it was several years ago, probably back at around 2007 or 8, that uh, we first met each other here in this studio, and uh, you were launching uh, I Can Has Cheeseburger, and that was pretty wild success.
2: I would say, you know, it was a very interesting ride. That's all I'll say, and uh, I'm pretty happy that the uh, site is still going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even bigger, even though I think uh, the company has been trying to figure out what their end goal is as a company. But uh, to have started that and have something that's still going five is it 5 years? 6 years almost? Yeah, 6 years, yeah. You know, I think that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so no, I'm pretty that's happy great. about it.
0: Now, you've uh, ventured into some 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 new things. I know yeah. the last time we spoke uh, you were doing a project called Simple Honey, uh, which was kind of a travel website. Uh, what's up what's up with that?
2: So, Simple Honey started out as a travel company and uh, we tried and tried and tried to figure out how do you crack the code of getting people to, you know, book book hotels mm-hmm, or book travel related mm-hmm. things. What we learned was that people were actually more willing to tell us where they wanted to go and the things that they wanted. So we actually shifted the company into being a surprise, a mobile app that let people tell us exactly what they wanted. We started out with building uh, the app so that it uh, allowed you to choose the products that you wanted, it became like a wish list thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas of last year, no, not Christmas, sorry. Uh, we launched it back uh, Black Friday. Um, we got featured for like five, six weeks leading up to Christmas, and we got hundreds of thousands of downloads. So it was, it was pretty exciting to be a part of something that you take something that you learned, you implement it in something else, and it's immediately validated by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge was, although you got, we got hundreds of thousands of downloads, we didn't get millions and millions and millions of downloads. And when you're, when you're talking about startups nowadays, uh, a million's not enough. Like a million u- users, not enough. Mm. I mean, it's great. Good for you. But 10 million plus user base? That really gets the attention of investors, especially large investors. Mm-hmm. So our product, uh, we were trying to figure out like what do we do with this this thing that people really liked? They kept coming back and using it. kept I mean we have tons of love little you know love letters that we were sent in, and we never you, as someone that starts something you never want to let down your users. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just it's just part of who you are. You wake up, you go to sleep. That's who you are. Like I still th- think about my life as cheeseburger quote unquote. Um, and I still get fans that come up and you know want to give me a big bear hug, you know, because that that really changed their lives. So with Simple Honey, we were actually trying to find a place to 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 make move our product or our team to, and uh, we actually got acquired. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the the best things about being in you know the, the Bay Area or are just in startup scene in general is that uh, when people see talent, when people see interesting products or projects, uh, they consider acquisition that's always on you know it's not something you as a founder you never really want to think about it because you want to keep your eye on the horizon and the big goal mm-hmm. but you have to be realistic and sometimes you know you take an offer to be you know to to have uh, your company acquired your product acquired um and and that's what we did so we ended up joining this this company called OpenCoin um and they I don't know if you guys know any of this but uh right now there's a huge surge in interest in virtual currencies like and Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Bitcoin right. yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is the big, the biggest kind of online currency right mm-hmm. now. And, uh, the guy who founded this company, um, he created something called Mt. Gox and Mt. Gox is the place where people, the number one place where people had been buying and selling Bitcoins. So he started another company and that's the one that he wanted us to, you know, he wanted our team to come and join and help them and kind of push that forward. So it's been pretty interesting. I've learned quite a bit considering I've done consumer internet humor. Um, I've done uh, travel, which is a very challenging space, very, very challenging space. And then uh, pr- and product recommendations, shopping, um, and now virtual currency slash finance. So if you were to look back at the whole history of what I've done, it seems like it's all over the place. Mm. And I think the great thing is like I'm kind of a jack of all trades kind of person. So I like that. Like it's mm-hmm. lots of variety. And uh, I'm pretty pretty happy to have had you know all these sorts of uh, fun successes. Well,
1: I love that story. I mean, you started in the IT department of a local healthcare provider, making a website to post funny pictures of cats. Right. Something that is still prevalent all over the internet. My daughter still sends me pictures of cats with funny captions, <laughs> and from that again to travel to. OpenCoin, which you would have to admit, the match seemed kind of unusual between what you were doing with your app uh, with Simple Honey and what their company did. Um, and I would imagine that that transition or that uh, that match, you know, is is a little uh, a little unusual. And I, I'm kind of curious after that news, and we were
2: all excited on Twitter and such. Uh, what brought you here to Hawaii? So, so the reason that the match seemed like a, a, a odd match was because the way that we knew the company was. Through people, Like in any successful community, startup community, you know, people and people don't know that everybody really does know everybody. Um, and so they really had a huge uh, pain point in their company, which was how do you tell grandma what Bitcoin is? Like most people don't understand what it is. I'm sure maybe 90% of your, your listeners won't really know what Bitcoin is. But the people that are very tech savvy, that are very interested, you know, they're learning about it. They're building these machines to 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 to. Generate these bitcoins, or or the currency that they had built, Ripple. Um, they needed help, kind of explaining that story, and so they saw us and said, "Oh my God, these guys have done consumer. They've done all these sorts of things. Um, that's a that's a great key, you mm. know, key kind of hire for us." So so that's why we got involved with them. And the reason I'm actually here is, geez, I've, last time I I first met you was about six years ago. About so from all this time, that's a quite a bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I thought right now would be a really good time to. Take a little break, come back home, and see if if I can kind of give back now I, I started this project I haven't posted about it it's just an internal thing that I kind of keep I, I do a lot of blogging that's I never post that's pretty, <laughs> it's a bad habit of mine but uh, I, I, I call it the project uh, project giving right where I just try to help people I either do something where I connect them, I try out their product, I give them product feedback, or I do something that they want me to do. Mm-hmm. And so far, what I've been doing is just meeting with startups because I feel like, considering the experience I've had most recently with Simple Honey in the you know in the mobile space, acquisitions, trying to raise money in a very tough market, um, I felt like I could you know really give a lot of good good feedback because it's so fresh.
0: Have you been uh, keeping up with some of the entrepreneurial activities that are that are uh, sort of brewing in Hawaii? Uh,
2: oh yeah, I have. Uh, I've always kind of kept my finger on the pulse of what's happening here, and I have a very big vested personal interest because. My dream is at some point to be a part of that community again, and if it, either it's from far away, or if I'm actually here, part being a part of it, that's what my big goal is. And having had success, I mean, I wasn't young, but I was you know much younger than now. Uh, I believe that that kind of success can happen at a much earlier age. And if only there was somebody or something that to, to, to for kids to aspire to, mm-hmm. I think that uh, there would be a lot more earlier kind of. Things that people get re- released out there. Um, if there was a a community or environment where people could actually help those things along, providing either entre- you know a mentorship or or even a little bit of funding to build it, um, I think you would have a lot more ideas out there that hopefully or maybe solve a lot of the local problems as well as international problems. Considering our location in the Pacific, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I, I'm, I'm rambling, but I'm also talking about this. The interest I have in Hawaii. So just briefly, then I guess to kind of.
1: Uh, get this uh, temperature check from you, someone who has who got sucked into and became part of the startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley, something that um, people in Hawaii largely aspire to or use as a model. Um, but keeping a pulse on what's happening here in Hawaii, we just talked about the high growth initiative. Certainly there have been the various startups, the blue startups, blue startups and startups, such. Yeah. Uh, are you bullish? Are you optimistic about Hawaii finding the, a way to be sustainable
2: and successful in that way? So I am incredibly bullish, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. Uh, right now, I think Blue Syrups had eight companies. Mm-hmm. Many of them were not from Hawaii. They were imported. Um, uh, the, I think
0: I think a, a pretty good percentage was local. Oh, yeah. So I'm
2: saying like that. some of them were, were talent was coming in. Right. And the thing is <laughs> when that talent came in, that actually helped to spread out ideas. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of ideas are, are being propagated and spread throughout. Um, but as that program program continues, and I think they have like another program mm-hmm. called Next. Yes. So they have another program that's going to actually help people that aren't far as far along with Kind of ideas to figure out what their idea is. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe those sorts of things will lead to more companies, and as there are more companies, just a law of numbers, like you'll eventually get someone to do really, really well. Um, and and I think that's kind of one of the big uh, exciting things that happen. There's going to be a company that uh, comes out of Hawaii that was that went through an incubator, went through an accelerator, um, and went through that second, third, fourth stage of funding, and decides uh, to to stick around and, and build a billion dollar corporation here in Hawaii. I didn't know about the whole e growth stuff. In fact, I only heard about it here in HPR when I think I was driving in. So to hear those things while I'm here actually makes me even more excited about things. Well, you
0: should uh, maybe get a chance to talk to Carl Fuchs yeah. and find out what he's up to. Yeah. And do you have uh, envision? Do you envision sort of doing sort of the work that you do as an independent, or do you want to sort of team up with the uh, blue Startups guys or, or anything like that?
2: So I don't. I don't know what I necessarily. Uh, uh, plan on doing. But I do believe that first, I need to understand what the current challenges are, because I don't, I've been away. Mm. And what I know there is applicable there. What I know here is really outdated. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm two mm. two years of, away from everything. But uh, I'm really actually here back home to try to understand. I met with actually a couple startups here. I'm meeting with a lot of folks that are trying to, you know, keep the spirit going you know the, the entrepreneur spirit mm-hmm. and I'm very uh, I'm pretty positive about what's 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 coming so if people
0: yeah. want to get a hold of you and talk story okay. and find out what's uh, you know what's happening with your life and how you per ha- perhaps can help them out where, where do they go to uh, contact
2: you so uh, find me on Twitter at Eric Nakagawa um, I'm going to be posting a link to a place where you can actually schedule a phone call with me okay. while I'm here I'm going to be doing those mm-hmm. um, ask me anything it's going to be it's going to be little code you can just t- click it sign up and confirm and we'll set up a call and talk sounds good fantastic cool Good to break. connect with you, Eric. Yeah. Right on, thanks, guys.
0: Uh, let's see, and we uh, want to thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll be, um, and that's when, what what <laughs> that's what's been happening this week. Yes, uh, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we've got Hervé, Colin, and a bunch of students from the
1: CANSAT team to talk about sending a payload into space and returning it safely to Earth. That's right. It's a full house, and we'll learn about the goal of this NASA-sponsored competition. We'd, of course, love your questions or comments as well as part of the conversation. Give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
0: And, of course, you can also tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Arrested Development and House of Cards on Netflix. Thirteen episodes, thirteen hours, all at once.
1: It's funny, you know, people talk a lot about binge viewing, like, you know, as if people actually, you know, clear the calendar, you know, put some toothpicks in their eyes and watch TV. But it, the truth of it is, most people watch a couple of episodes at a time.
3: I'm Kai Rizdahl, the guy at Netflix who decides what we see next time on Marketplace. It's from APM.
4: This evening at six, following Bite Marks Café.
1: Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Mark Matusik, author of Ethical Wisdom. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about
3: the search for a moral life. Sunday morning
0: at 11. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Hervé Collin and the uh, students from uh, uh, Capulani Community College and the team from CANSAT uh, who uh, who actually won first place. And, of course, Hervé is an assistant professor in the math and science department over at KCC and advisor to the CANSAT uh, team.
1: We also have here in the studio Clyde Gaborno, a civil engineering major, Ray Bell Bellen, she'll correct me I'm sure, a major in pre-engineering, and Logan Tamayo as well, a major in pre-engineering.
0: And what were some of the challenges faced during this competition? We'd love to hear your questions and comments and of course that number to call is 941 on Oahu or one 941 3689 from the neighbor islands. Herve and the uh, rest of you, <laughs> thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having us. It's good
5: to be here.
0: Now um, when I first... Saw the announcement of CanSat and the fact that uh, you know this team from Hawaii won. I thought, I wonder what Can stands for. Maybe, maybe uh, Hervey, you can you can fill us in. What does Can stand for?
3: Actually, CanSat stands for satellite, the size of a can, and the idea is to simulate the uh, arrival of a satellite into a planet's surface. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they want the competition. They want the students to develop their skills to build such a satellite to mimic the, the landing of a satellite, say, over Mars' uh, surface. Wow. So
0: so this uh, the CAN really represented a CAN. I mean, it's you know, not an acronym like not, the not space acro- people no, love no. those acronyms. Actually, oh, I'm sorry. Well, Origi- when you talk about CAN,
1: I mean, we talked, we've talked about CubeSats and other nanosats and mm-hmm. such. So how big of a CAN is a can Sat?
3: Originally, it was the sign of a regular CAN. Like a so- soda CAN. can. Yeah, ah. yeah. And then they expand the size over the years. So,
0: so how big is it now? Do you...
3: No, it's about ten centimeters in diameter and twenty centimeters in height.
0: So, when every year when this uh, uh, competition comes out, I take it the specifications for the actual competition changes, right? So you don't you, you don't you know build it one year and then improve it for the next year. No, no, no. So, can you describe like what was the specification for this competition?
3: For so for this year, the mission was to send the cansat to about a thousand meters. And then it has to uh, deploy itself from the rocket itself. Mm-hmm. And we were only authorized to have a passive descent rate system, such as a parachute. And they had to control descent rate to 20 meters per second plus or minus 1 meters per second. And at 400 meters, the CANSAT needed to deploy itself into two components. So we had the envelope and the payload inside the envelope. So at 400 meters, their system needed to deploy itself from the envelope. And the Kant sign itself, which holds an egg, uh, raw egg, had to descend with a passive, I mean an active control system, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is no parachute allowed, with also twenty meters per second, and then land safely on uh, the ground. Wow.
1: I mean, I I I even as a as a kid I remember experiments where you try to protect an egg when you throw it off a building and something, but this sounds like a much more complex operation. Uh I want to hear from some of the students. I mean, Logan, uh can you tell us uh what was attractive to you? I mean, how did this fit into your uh, educational program? Well,
6: actually I'm an electrical engineering major and I really enjoy working with microcontrollers, especially after this project. I have I had no experience programming, embedded programming into a microcontroller. Tell, I went onto this on board this prog- program and then I learned so much from that. So it makes me want to go into maybe computer engineering or systems engineering, mm-hmm. something like that. So was,
1: is this different from, like, classes you took? I mean, this sounds like it was an extracurricular activity to some extent, and you're getting your hands dirty, so to speak, and getting your hands on something that would be, you know, put into the sky. Uh, was that probably one of the key reasons why it made it that much more exciting to want to proceed with these studies?
6: Yeah, I was taking it from all conceptual to real-life situation where we we got planning and actual building rather than just doing equations and calculations.
0: Now, I'm kind of curious about how the three of you uh, got together as a team. You know, oftentimes we hear about robotics teams, and the robotics team has, I don't know, maybe 15 people on it, and they've actually mentored students through the high school years and that ultimately ended up with you know with uh, who's participating in you know that years let's say first robotics or vex robotics how did how did you guys get together maybe ray you tell us how did how did you get this uh, team together and and uh, was it something that you guys all knew each other or how did it come together
5: yeah well we actually um we actually were a part of summer bridge programs from KCC prior years before that, and we all kind of got to know each other, kind of bonded, and then we found out about the CanSat competition, and we're all just like, oh, we should all try to do this together. It wasn't something that, it was just like, oh, you, 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 we're going to work together. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, we're a bunch of friends, and you know, we want to try and do something together, and we want to try and build something, and we kind of just What was the, what's that?
0: You mentioned the bridge, uh, a bridge program, or what? That's not playing cards, right?
5: No, it's, <laughs> it's um, it's a summer bridge program at KCC where um, there's three different parts. There's a Hakilo branch, which is for life science majors, and there's a Ek branch for engineering. So it's a six week program at KCC where you take a math course and then you also do like different projects.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and so Clyde, how did how did you get involved? Were you part of their? sort of little uh, group of friends? and
4: uh, Actually, yes, I was. So I started off doing my Summer Bridge program right after high school. And so that kind of integrated me into the STEM program. And after that, I've been actively participating in it. So when I heard about the CANSAT project from Hervey. he was mm-hmm. recruiting students who was interested in mm-hmm. participating in the project. I was kind of iffy at first because I had other projects in mind, but he got me to do it. And knowing the fact that I had other friends doing the project made me want to join it more. And So, I finally made a decision to join it, and it was like the best decision i've ever made
0: so it was it basically the three of you who are part of the team, or are there others that were part of this uh this say winning team that that uh you know
4: won the the, the competition so there's actually seven of us uh-huh, uh-huh. and hervey as our mentors and a lot of them are recruited through word of mouth and who is interested in it and so so can you sort of each uh, maybe describe a little bit about what role you played, you know, in the development of uh, of this competition? Personally, I was involved in the mechanical subsystem, which incorporated um, making the structure of the payload and controlling descent rate. Also, fabricating, like, designs that would help keep it structurally sound and protecting the egg. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And there was other components to it, they, which included electrical components and um, programming, which Logan and our other teammate, Taylor and Josh Tamayo, was part of. Yeah. And and, and Ray, what, what, what role did you play?
5: I was also part of the mechanical, and um, later on I was the person who actually helped um, design a way to keep the egg safe mm-hmm. and the protection mm-hmm. of it.
1: And Logan?
6: Well, I was the... Uh, Programmer for the flight software, and I help configure the um, circuit diagram to which sensors go to what.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know, um, Hervey, when you when you describe the uh, the actual payload and the things that it needed to do, you said it had to go up about a thousand meters. A
3: thousand meters. Okay. That's current,
0: yeah. So that's a pretty that's a pretty good. Uh, um, that's about what more than two thousand feet. And there were certain things that this payload, in fact, Hervey's got a got a. Hey, we should take a picture and then post it up on We'll post Instagram. it over
1: on Bitemarkscafe.org and for some reason, Hervey, it is bright pink. Or? Yeah,
0: this is really you know, this is really <laughs> cool. Now you said that it, it had to do a certain, you know, a number of things. That's correct. And part of it was passive, part of it was active. I'm curious, what was the active part? Was there a battery in there that had a timer and it you know,
3: and then it launched? Uh, there is two active systems. There is the mechanical active system which is to control the descent rate from four hundred meters to ground. Uh, level mm-hmm. and we were not allowed to use a parachute, so they had to develop their own air breaking system which would deploy itself at 400 meters and still uh, control the descent rate. And of course, there is full of electronic components because during the entire flight, the CAN side is supposed to perform telemetry, so he has to measure barometric uh, pressure, he has to measure temperature, he has to measure GPS and accelerometer. And during mm. the entire flight, the telemetry has to be sent back to the control ground mm-hmm, station.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is all of this part of a kit or how much of it is part of a kit and how much of it is designed by you skilled students here?
5: We actually have to build that from scratch. From scratch? So we had um, budgets where we had to figure out how much money we had and um, and then we kind of had to look at different types of Things that we could use, and from there, kind of just let our minds go to to uh, imagination.
1: So this can, this is this. Did you 3D print the can? Or uh, oh, yes, uh, it was yeah. 3D printed. Wow, it's pretty cool. It also looks like it could uh, double as a uh, as a lantern for uh, bone dance, perhaps. <laughs> um, now, so that that's that's fantastic. So, unlike you know some other competitions where it's like you buy this kid and make what you can with it. From every from it sounds like every aspect of this you fabricated, even the canvas I guess parachute or correcting uh, uh, actually kind of looks like a lampshade as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you all had to do it. You all had to build it. it looks well, uh, like they're sewing. So someone had to sew that,
0: right? Yeah. And there's some sewing. There's some springs that that allow <laughs> it to collapse. Uh, obviously, there's some electronics in here that that does all the the sensing. I mean, and you guys did that
4: from scratch. I mean, how many? How how long did you work on this, Clyde? Well, the project was about. We started in January, so we tried to do everything a lot, a certain amount of time to do each part, so we wouldn't be behind schedule. A lot mm-hmm. of that sewing was actually me. <laughs> I became a great sewer.
0: <laughs> now you picked a really bright color. Uh, did was this because you wanted to see it as it came into came into the? Uh, you yeah, know? Oh, it didn't go that far up. I mean, thousand uh, meters is
4: not like you know like uh, mm-hmm. out of the atmosphere, but uh, that's
0: a that's a nice. Nice and bright color. Yeah, it was a
4: base requirement. So for the competition, it had to be either fluorescent pink or orange to help out when it landed because it's in a field of like nowhere. Mm -hmm. So it'd be easier to spot and help detect where it is so we could retrieve it easier. So we had to make it either pink or orange. Whoa, whoa. Let me I'm not
1: sure what I'm doing, so maybe I should put it Well, down. you know, you <laughs> did touch something, and the, uh, a light went on. So yeah, what? I think they turned it on. Um, Ray, you said you were in charge of what kept the egg from um, being broken during That's descent. Uh, what I would do is I would just stuff a bunch of styrofoam in there. What What? far more advanced things did you do to protect the egg in this uh, can set?
5: Well, um, I actually went to Walmart, and <laughs> I found a beer cozy. <laughs> So what I did was oh, we kind of just cut it and um used used it to be able to house it and then inside was um we did bubble wrap and mm-hmm. then to hold the egg from spilling all over <laughs> the electronics if it fell, we actually put it in a condom.
1: Ah. Yeah. Ah, a very ah, safe interesting. egg. Interesting. Safe egg. Now now why, egg. why did you
0: choose a condom <laughs> as opposed to a balloon?
5: Um
1: have you ever tried to <laughs> put an egg? <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe.
5: Oh,
0: okay, okay. Maybe, yeah. The, the <laughs> <mechanism>. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Now, did you design that little casing, uh, that plastic casing that you had to fit the, you know, the uh, the beer cozy, co- cozy in?
5: No, that's actually gutter material that we've got from
1: City Mill. Oh, gutter wow, material, like PVC. I, yeah. Now I recognize You're that. You're right, that yeah. is what that is. <laughs> I'm, I really love the ingenuity that I see, and of course, with common household items uh, for <laughs> something that's going to be doing something involving space or, you know, now, in the space way.
0: Now I'm curious, Hervey, I mean, how much of your role uh, was involved with, you know, sort of mentoring and guiding? And how much of it was the students' sort of ingenuity about developing the mechanics and the electronics? Because I know back in back when I was that age, I was just trying to figure out how to use a slide rule. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Actually, my role is is very minimal. Uh, as a mentor, we're not supposed to do anything. It's mm-hmm. entirely mm-hmm. a student-based project. Mm-hmm. So all I'm here for is you know to keep them on track, keep them on schedule, doing your procurements, and make sure everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But they have to uh, come up with what we call a preliminary design review, which is about a 100-page design of their project. 100 pages? That's correct. Okay. And they have to present it via teleconferencing to the judges, which are located in JPL or in the mainland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then then they start building their design. They start constructing their CANSAT. And, of course, things are going to change. They're going to make revision. And so in mid-March, they have to come up with a critical design review, or CDR. Mm-hmm. Again, about a hundred pages, and then they have to present that again uh, to the committee, and then they have two more months to do to the, the final testing, final integration, and then they go to the competition in June. So, so it's an eight-month long. That's process. a
1: significant pro- undertaking, and a hundred pages just for that preliminary design review. How much of what we see in front of us, and unfortunately, our listeners can only hear, uh, was in that hundred-page document way back then? I mean, did it look like what we, uh, what you actually put into the program? <laughs> Lots Logan? of
3: changes happened.
6: Um, it's changed a lot. We started out we wanted it to be all fancy with carbon fiber and <laughs> polycarbonate tiers with aluminum, everything, but what you see is what we could get. It's the MacGyver version. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we built it to work not to look pretty.
0: <laughs> now you know there were um a couple of specifications that Hervey you described where it had to come down at a certain rate. How did how did you guys decide or how did you design it? to meet that rate. Clyde, were you involved with that part?
4: Uh, Yeah. So basically, we used a descent rate equation, Mm -hmm. and we did a canopy. So because it was a dome shape, it had a drag coefficient of like 1.5. And based on that, you can kind of estimate or theorize how fast it will be going based on how big your canopy is. Mm -hmm. So during our PDR, we theoretically thought it would be like about 15 centimeters. But then after doing actual testing, because there's other factors to contribute, like wind or like, other stuff. So then... The drag force of the... Yeah, the drag of force the of the... Actual, so. Or, like, it's wind resistance. So then we had to, like, adjust it based on that. So we just kept doing testing to figure out how big the parachute would be. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. during the actual competition, I think our descent rate was about 26, which was a little
6: off, but... Wait, with the parachute? It was 16 with the parachute.
4: Oh, it was 16. So we were way over, or way under, I guess.
0: <laughs> now, uh, you know, in terms of... Um, Going through designs, uh, did you have an opportunity to test out multiple designs? And given that this is going to go up in a rocket, I mean, I I'm, i know you guys worked with the folks over at Windward, uh, but how many rocket launches did you have access to?
6: Well, we had two launches because the first one actually was very unsuc- unsuccessful, it shot its ejection charge before it took off. So it (laughs) basically blew up our can set and (laughs) dropped it on the ground. Oh, that's not good. But it was good because we actually got a good experience of, like, how strong our 3D printer material was versus Mm. how strong some of our egg tears was because Mm -hmm. we actually discovered that the brown um, gutter material material was actually weaker than the white material. Oh, is Uh, that right? Yeah.
0: so so um, now you said that uh, that first launch, the e- e- uh, ejection system went off before, like as, in the
6: in the in the payload. Yeah, for the the WCC's rocket, the ejection shot our our payload out of the rocket as it was trying to take off. Ah,
0: so was that a uh, design uh, flaw in your guys' work, or no, was it? Oh, it was okay. it was the it was whoever rocket. made
6: the motor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So well, you are
0: kind of dependent on others that absolutely uh, yeah
6: yeah
1: build their systems. Now, Logan, you, uh, you mentioned that you did programming. I'm kind of curious what that entails. We do have a lot of programmers that listen. I see what looks like a cellular antenna or some kind of...
6: Well, that's a XB radio, um, Pro Series 2. That's our communication device that mm-hmm. sends our data back to the ground station. Oh, I see, I see. And then we have a GPS, a barometer, an accelerometer, and... Um, uh, Arduino microcontroller, Arduino. and that's basic. That's basically our. Well, I microcontroller. I want to, you know, I want to also get to the
0: secret sauce that got you to actually get to sort of top of mind with the judges. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Hervey, Colin, and uh, Clyde, Ray, and Logan from KCC, and they're the team that uh, designed the can set. And we'll, you know, we'll. Um, Talk to them
1: right after this break. And what did the competition entail? What was it like? What was the competition doing differently? You can give us a call with your questions as well at 941-3689 or from the Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. You are listening to Bite Marks Cafe.
3: What first got me started was actually my parents. It was just daily morning routine when we were eating breakfast to listen to Morning Edition every day. Eventually, when I grew older, That became even more important to me. If I moved to a new location, I could always find NPR on the local station, and that would sort of be my link to that regular news stream.
5: Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
1: The domino effects of invasive species. Gypsy moth. love oak trees. So where you have heavy infestations of gypsy moth, Oak trees tend to diminish after a while, and they're replaced by other trees, like, for instance, maple trees. Trying to control the invaders before they wreck the neighborhood. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI.
4: Monday afternoon at 4, following fresh air.
1: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and talking to Hervé Collin, the advisor, as well as Clyde Ray and Logan, students who were very successful in the CanSat competition. And of course,
0: uh, we talked about the roles that each of you played. But you know what I'm I'm really kind of curious about is uh, how you got the attention of the judges. And, of course, we want to encourage uh, you, our listeners, to give us a call if you have any questions for this uh, this team, this winning team. And, of course, you can call here at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at one 941 3689 Now, in terms of uh, competition, okay, so maybe, maybe describe a little bit about what that competition was like uh, because it wasn't just Uh, you
4: know, students from the U.S. I mean, it was all over the world. Uh, Clyde, I mean, what was the competition like? It was extravagant. We were competing against, like, four-year institutions from around the world, Mm -hmm. teams from India, um, UK, and Canada. And we're not only talking about just undergrad students. Some of these teams had graduate students on their team, and we're all, like, competing against the same competition. And so, I mean, being from a community college, you know, it's kind of scary, Especially for me, because well, like, you can
0: feel you feel a little intimidated, right? Because you got all these four year institutions, yeah, you definitely. got grad students, and and then here here we are, you know, Capulani Community College, and you know, sometimes you might feel, a, oh, I'm just a small, you know, a small kid on the block.
4: Yeah, but during the actual competition itself, it's like all the teams are really friendly, mm-hmm. so it was a nice like we're all here to do the same thing, and you know, there's no like ragging on each other, so it was good. So, uh where
0: did this competition take place?
4: Uh, it took place in Texas. Oh, Burquette. Texas, okay. And and um
0: as everybody launched their rockets, I mean, uh was it for the most part measured all everybody was measured on the same basis? I mean, it was a standard sort of measurement?
6: Yeah, there was a scoring sheet involved with specific points for deductions on exact things that like if the egg cracked, that was 100 points mm-hmm. if you weren't getting telemetry that was another forty points. If you initiated telemetry too early that was ten points and et cetera, et cetera. And there was actually a point breakdown that they based it off of. It wasn't actual so much judging as well as like meeting requirements. Oh so
1: it's not like there are people with cards that they hold up. Like yeah, like
6: uh, Yeah, so it's it's a scored base
1: competition. Mm-hmm. Now, Ray, what was that like? I mean, were you early on? Were you, late, were you later in the competition? Are you watching all of these other teams and how they approach things and, and saying, oh, that was an interesting idea, or we're totally glad we didn't do that?
5: Well, when we got there, it's it was weird. We kind of looked like we were prepared for everything, but we were actually up all night prior to that struggling to like get everything to work and make sure everything's on point and we fit and we make weight and all that stuff. But When we actually got there, like on the day of um, our launch, we were just sitting there wandering around, like looking at everybody, like scrambling for parts and like, oh, my God, their stuff is not working. And we're just here like, oh, um, we'll just check telemetry until 12 o'clock and then we'll turn in our can set. Because we had like a specific time where we actually had to turn it in and then nobody else could work on it until Mm. you launched. So Mm -hmm. we were there early beforehand, making sure everything worked, and then when we got on site, we just pretty much sat around and looked like we weren't doing anything. You were cool (laughs) as
1: cucumber. So you you did all your panicking a little earlier than everybody (laughs) else
6: did. What also helped, I think, is with the two practice launches that we did do with WCC, Uh our can completely got destroyed. (laughs) So we knew what would go wrong and what to double check because we experienced it twice before now we,
0: now the uh so the winward community college folks uh I mean they have a rocket club, and we've actually had them on the show talking about uh, some of the things that they do uh so the second launch at Winward Community College was that a little bit more successful that oh definitely <laughs> so that did that uh, reach the, the the thousand meters oh and, no
6: we because we're in Hawaii we can't go past two thousand feet mm-hmm. and with the rocket launch going that high, you can only do it once a year. So we're only going to about 500, 600 feet with our practice launches. Oh,
0: okay. Now, when you took it to Texas, uh, whose rocket did you use? And was it were you pretty confident that it wasn't going to eject on you?
4: Well, the competition provided all the rockets for uh-huh. all the cons- cansets to be uh, launched in. And if anything went wrong on the rocket's part, you got another relaunch, assuming that everything survived. Oh,
0: Yeah, so right. So if it didn't blow up and you know, eject the payload, you could still run
1: it again. Yeah. But did you you see other teams perhaps suffer an unfortunate fate during the competition?
4: um, The team from Iran, their um, CANSAT didn't actually detach from the rocket, so they got another relaunch, and their Uh, CANSAT was pretty awesome.
0: (laughs) It must have been the stuck
1: that... that, What made it it awesome?
4: Well, the design of their descent rate, uh, descent control, it was kind of like a spiral... It was like a helicopter, like an autonomous gyro. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it just fell down like, elegantly, slowly. I think their descent rate was like six me- m- meters per second, which is like awesome because their egg survived. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they were really innovated. They did have a graduate student on their team, too. He was a mechanical engineer.
1: So, Ray, as you're watching this uh, competition unfold, what was your confidence level in the performance of, of your CANSAT?
5: Um, Well, compared to everybody else's aerobraking system, ours seemed kind of tiny. So I didn't think we were going to be able to get it to the right descent rate. And um, I didn't think it was going to land safely (laughs) because like watching everybody else and all of theirs like fall down like super quick. I thought like ours was just going to be totaled.
0: (laughs) Mm. So so, when the scoring—I mean, did they score Live? immediately? Yeah. yeah, And and as yeah, you started the see, lunch they they so, would
5: watch and score from there, and then you would bring your can set back mm-hmm. after you retrieved it, and if you retrieved it, you got points for it, and then you would bring it to a table and open up your can set and reveal your egg if it's cracked or not, and if it was cracked, then you would get deducted right, the hundred right. points, and mm-hmm. if it was still like all together, then you would get that 100 points right there.
0: Now, we, uh, we've we uh, opened the lines up for calls, and we want to welcome Andrew from Kaneohe to Bite Marsh Cafe. Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, guys. Hi. Um, well, I'm, I actually work at Windward Community College, so it's really nice seeing uh, the Rocket Club getting a, a cool merge gig. Um, my question was, you were talking about how when you were out there, all the different groups, uh, they they were supportive of each other and no no negative stuff. Was there actually any... Um, Kind of joining of ideas, were were other teams able to to say, "Hey, that that thing is cool," and and try it with theirs, or did you see things that, that helped adapt uh, your your project, or was it really, for lack of a better phrase, were you stuck on an island? I mean, what was there was there no uh, you know were walls up so that you couldn't share in between?
1: Excellent question. Thank you for your call, uh, Logan. Thank you.
4: I'll, I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Okay, fantastic. Thanks.
1: So did you see things or did you see other teams maybe hand a piece to another team or at that point or when you arrive, pretty much everything's locked down?
6: Well, what happened was a team from India, I believe, their CANSAT got completely confiscated in Japan and only one of their team members actually made it to the competition. Uh And well, we actually tried to offer, because we had enough to make probably about three cansats, so we tried to offer some parts. But they already made the decision not to compete and just Mm -hmm. help out with the competition. Did you
1: see ideas that uh, you would apply? They were like, "Oh, that—that was an interesting approach."
6: Well, there's this Canadian team. They had this foam that was magical, I guess, because they tried. They gave it to the judge and told them to smash it on the table, and the egg did not crack. Just the foam. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm
0: -hmm. Now you know. I would imagine that even if there was a certain amount of sharing. Uh, it would be kind of difficult to incorporate it into your payload, given the time constraints, yeah, right? Yeah,
5: you wouldn't be able to just incorporate it right then and there. Mm-hmm. It was just all your designs are right there. You can see it, and maybe prepare for next semester, next year. Like if it's something similar, you could probably catch in that idea and put it in, integrate it into your project. Mm-hmm. Although, mm-hmm. of course, the requirements each year changes. Yeah, they change just depends.
1: So, Clyde, you're out there. You're seeing the scores come in. People hopefully finding their cans bringing them back, checking the eggs. And you see, I would imagine, how they're doing. Um, tell me about the moment where uh, you realized that you were going to place, that you did very well in this competition against graduate students and in four-year institutions. Well, we were one
4: of the first few teams to launch first that Saturday. And we wouldn't know till the next day after we presented our post flight review. Mm-hmm. So that would be a day later. But... Because we were one of the first teams to go, when we first retrieved our cansat, it kind of looked like the egg broke. Because I was like, I was one of the people to retrieve it. So as I'm walking to the judge table, I'm looking at the cansat. I'm like, Oh god, it broke! It broke! It broke! And finally, when he opened it up, our egg was intact. and I was like shouting and screaming. Yeah, and then, <laughs> As the day progressed, all the teams are bringing in their cansat, and you know they open it up, and their egg is cracked. That's an easy hundred points. And mm-hmm. That's like a majority of the points on the score sheet. And I think that day, only 8 out of 23 23 teams had their eggs. Wow. So from that day, it's like we were in pretty good standing. And considering we placed top 5 for our PDR and our CDR, you know, we were looking good. And so I had pretty optimistic thoughts about winning. We actually
5: thought we were in a place like second or something because we thought the the team from Iran was totally on top because their CDR was first place. Mm-hmm. on theirs and so we were just like oh if, if we place we'll place second like highest so
0: how did the how did the canadians do with that uh, special foam
4: oh they actually came in third which oh, is pretty good yeah
0: yeah so okay so uh you guys have uh, a recognition of being the first place i mean was there some sort of a award ceremony uh, did uh you know did you sort of get the get the photo opportunity
6: Yeah, Yeah. after, like, about an hour after all the presentations of the post-flight review were completed, they announced the awards. And they started, they actually had five places, Mm -hmm. and then it was really, like, nerve-wracking (laughs) because they just, like, they're going, like, step by step. And then when they announced second, they said... I ran and we were like, oh, we didn't think we placed after that. Because right, right. Oh, wow.
0: So it was a, kind of a yeah. surprise.
6: Then. Yeah, and then we were all then,
5: bummed out, like, oh, man, we didn't even place. Oh. But, then, <laughs> but then when they
6: announced our name, our whole team had to hold in the, the shouts and screams. And, oh, cool.
1: Well, congratulations <laughs> for sure. And I guess we should ask, um, and I think Logan did tell us, but uh, Clyde, for example, with this success, I mean, how does it direct your future studies?
4: Well, doing the whole engineering project, you know, has really prepared me to to what to expect in my future profession, you know, going through all of the designs, theories, testing it out, and, you know, coming up with a finished product. So definitely this has helped me, um, I guess, enhance and, like, better prepare myself for the future. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, now, each one of you, I want to know where do you plan to head uh, after this? I mean, are you, are you going to... Couple more years at KCC. Or are you heading to UH or uh, next going?
4: semester? I'm already. Um, I'm in the College of Engineering at okay. UH Manoa. Cool.
1: Congratulations, uh, Ray.
5: Um, hopefully, um, in the spring of 2014, I'll be graduating with my ASNs in pre-engineering, and then I'll be at UH Manoa
1: mm-hmm. in Fantastic. the
6: fall, Logan. And then for me, um, after this fall, I'll be getting my ASNs in pre-engineering and transferring to UH as a into the electrical engineering program.
1: And finally, Hervé. If someone wanted to learn more about the CanSat competition or perhaps your program, uh, can they go someplace on the web? Sure, they can go to stem.kcc.hawaii.edu. That's our stem.kcc. I like that. Yeah.
0: So, I guess uh, as a as a team, you guys are this is this is it for this team, and then what next year? There's going to be another CanSat team, and that's correct. Oh well, we'll Well, keep track track. of you guys and Hervé to see how things fare, and uh, we're always excited to have students on the show. So let's see, uh, Hervey Collin is a uh, professor, assistant professor in physics at Kapiulani Community College. And, of course, the CANSAT team of uh, Clyde uh, Garbono and Ray Bellin and uh, Logan Tamayo. We want to thank you all for joining us today.
6: Thank you for, thank having, you. Us thank you for here. having us
1: <laughs> And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about Google Glass, Ingress, and Augmented Reality. And if you
0: miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback
1: at bitemarkscafe.org. Or you can find us on Twitter. He's Bite Marks, and I'm Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich.
0: And of course, we leave you with our song pick of the week, which I was enjoying a little sooner than I should have. But uh, it's a San Francisco band called Strip Mall Architecture and a song called Suburban Reverb. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.